Blog Talk Radio.
And welcome to Reality in Christ Worship and Word broadcast here on True Radio Presents and Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Thomas Dwayne Smith, Reverend, Visible Conservative, whichever you want to call me. We have a really awesome broadcast tonight. This is going to be a broadcast, faith field, talking about faith. Yes exciting. I'm excited about it. And I'm going to open up with the word and then we're going to get into the worship phase of worship and work. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, I thank you for another opportunity to host another broadcast of, of worship and word, Lord. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for the message that you've given me tonight through inspiration of conversation and just through listening over the last week or so, Father. God, I pray that my message tonight will pierce the hearts of those who are listening, will be listening, and will listen in future times to come. Holy Spirit, I ask you in the name of Jesus to anoint my words, that they may be edifying to those who will listen and be strength to those who are weak. We say we love you and we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So our first song tonight. Uh, obviously is Alabaster Bob, C.C. Wyden. Like all 
time with C.C. Winer with Mercy Said No here on Reality and Christ Worship and Word. Here on True Radio Presents the Vault Talk Radio Network. This next and last song in our worship portion of Reality and Christ Worship and Word, I am dedicating this to a friend who is listening in who I've not talked to in a long time. And he has a phenomenal story. He's out there fighting the good fight of faith. And I know even in her strength and her resolve, sometimes he might feel, there might be that tendency, I should say, to feel like she is alone. So to you, Anna, I dedicate this Meredith Andrews song. You are not alone.
That was You Are Not Alone by Meredith Andrews. That was dedicated to Anna Ritchie, who is a strong and pro-life abolitionist, if you will. Abortion abolitionist, you know. And that's a whole other subject for another day. But tonight, we are going to give a message that we, let me make sure, yeah, the message tonight is going to be one of encouragement. And it might shake, well, I know it's going to shake a lot of y'all's faith because (laughs) we're going to talk reality. And the reality is this. A lot of times we as believers, we we read the word of God and we don't believe what it is, what it says. The word of God says that we were made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ. But yet you have many Christians today who still preach you you have to earn God's favor through your own righteousness. So I'm going to use some teaching from a, a man of God, Andrew Womack, who he reminds me of my spiritual father in the faith. And for reference, you can go to awmi.net to find out more information about him, but he is a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal man of God. So, here we go. I'm going to start with, you already got it. It's an article he wrote, and and I'll talk from there. What do you need the Lord to do for you? Do you need the Lord to show you? How about prosperity? Can you use more money? The truth is you don't need the Lord to do anything for you. He's already done his part. You've already got whatever got it, whatever it is. This may sound crazy to some of you. You might be thinking, but I've got a doctor's report to prove I don't have healing or you haven't seen my bank account. But regardless of what the natural facts are, the truth is that God has already given you whatever you need. Second Peter 1.3 says, According to as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life in godliness through the knowledge of him, that has called us to glory and virtue. The only thing we are lacking is knowledge. Most Christians believe that God can do anything, but many of them don't believe he has done very much. They live in a constant state of trying to get God to do something. They are begging God to move through revival, healing, prosperity, etc., They run from meeting to meeting trying to get something from God, but they've already got it. 
the Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. This says he hath this says he hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, meaning it's already done. You already have all spiritual blessings. So asking God or waiting on him to bless you is counterproductive. And yet the average Christian starts from that position. If they're sick in their bodies, instead of starting from by his stripes, I was healed, First Peter 2.24, or I have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead living in me, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, they'll take the doctor's report or the pain in their bodies and say, I am sick. God, will you heal me? They start moving toward victory instead of coming from victory. One time I was praying for healing for my son who was very little at the time. I wasn't seeing him healed. So I asked God, what's wrong? The Lord spoke to me. You're fighting to get your son healed instead of fighting because he is healed. You might say, I don't see the difference. There's a huge difference. The Lord told me that instead of defending my son's healing and just releasing what Jesus already provided, I was trying to get him to do something. If you don't, if you didn't understand this, then I can guarantee you this is one of the main reasons you aren't receiving from God. You need to get a revelation of this. Jesus has already provided everything you will ever need. You are blessed with all spiritual blessings, all of them. The key for me understanding these things was the revelation the Lord gave me that I entitled Spirit, Body, and Soul. God is a spirit, John 4.24, and he moves in the spiritual realm. Whether or not we see a physical manifestation of what he has done in the spirit realm is dependent upon what we believe and how we act, not on what he has done. It is not up to the Lord to heal us. He already healed us, First Peter 2.24. But he gave the miraculous power to, to us to release. Before I continue the reading, I just want to make sure that everybody knows I am reading an article from the man of God, Andrew Womack. So this, you know, so you'll understand where I'm coming from. Healing has already been provided. Financial prosperity has already been provided. Joy and peace and everything that you will ever need emotionally have already been provided. If you're having a down day, if things aren't going right, if you don't feel good, you don't need to embrace discouragement, despair, and hopelessness. And yet the average Christian just embraces this stuff saying, Oh, God, I ask you to touch me. I ask you to give me joy. The Bible says you've already received all these things. The logical question to ask then is, well, where is it? In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, it says, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, 
are all in you if you're born again. It's right there in your spirit. I've had many people come to me and say, I just don't feel the love of God. Would you please pray that he would release his love towards me? Most people think that a that a great that think that's a great request, but it assumes that it's God's fault that it, that they don't feel His love. The truth is, God has already poured out His love toward you. Look what it says here in Romans: the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Romans five five b. God loves you whether you feel it or not. His love has been poured in your heart, in other words, in your spirit. And his isn't conditional upon your good actions or holiness. You've got to start from that God has already provided everything. And if I don't know that you have something, it takes the struggle out of it you out of condemnation. It takes you out of the sick mentality of trying to earn things from God. It removes doubt. How could you ever doubt that you did something that you already have? It's really that simple. In my meetings, sometimes I'll walk someone and hand them my Bible. And then I ask them, now, what would I if you asked me for my Bible? How do I respond? I would probably just look at them and be totally quiet. Many Christians pray for what they already got are getting total silence. It's because God has already given them everything they need. If God could be confused, I think he would be confused saying, I told them in my word that they are already blessed, healed, prospered, and had total joy and peace in their spirit. Why are they asking me for what they already have? Why do they ask me to come into their services when I said that I would always be in the midst of two or three of them? Why do they ask me to go with them when I said I would never leave nor forsake them? Again, I go back to Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has past tense blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, brackets mine. Now it says these spiritual blessings are in heavenly places in Christ, but they are in you because you are in Christ, which is, what the next verse says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1-4-A. Folks, before I go on, I am going to play a quick song because uh, I, got a, I got a phone call that came in. So hold that thought. I'll be right back after this song to continue with that message because it's on point. So you're listening to Reality in Christ, Worshiping Word, here on True Radio Presents and Blog Talk Radio.
I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the song play softly in the background. We're gonna get back to the message because this is this is on point. God is so good. Philemon six is another verse that explains this truth. Paul was praying that the communication of thy faith may become effectual. That means that your faith would begin to work by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Jesus Christ. You see, every good thing is in you in Christ. You've already got it. And he said he would never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13.5. So instead of praying, Lord, just be with me this week, if it be your will for Jesus' sake, or, oh God, where are you? God, could you just love me? I don't feel the love of God. Pray. Thank you, Father, that you'll never leave me, that you'll always that you're always here. Thank you for your goodness. You're you just start acknowledging the good things that the word says are in you, then your faith begins to be effective. You'll start seeing these things manifest in your life. That is so much easier than begging and pleading with God to come. God has already done his part. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, John 19.30. And the scripture reveals in Ephesians 1.20 that he is now seated at the Father's right hand. He's not working anymore. He's already done it. It is finished. Do you need to be healed today? It has already been done. Jesus bore your stripes in his body 2,000 years ago. Do you need to be saved? It says in 1 John 2, 2, that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's already forgiven the sins of the entire world. It's not a matter of will God forgive you. He's already forgiven you, forgiven sins. Will you receive his forgiveness? Will you put faith in what Jesus has done? That is the issue. God has already forgiven you. He's already healed you. He's already commended his blessing upon you and your finances. He's already given you love, joy, and peace. You don't need God to respond to you to God. It is easier to defend something you already have than to go get something you don't have. That is so powerful. But this is where so many Christians are missing it. They know that God can do all all these things, but they don't think he's done anything yet. They start from a position of unbelief. They are crossways with the word of God in regards to healing. The proper way to do it is to take Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and begin to release this power over sickness and disease. I speak death to the sickness. I curse it and command it to leave. God, I speak the life that you've already put on the inside of me. I release it to flow through my body. This is how you start cooperating with God. We need to begin to believe that things have happened that we can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. We can believe that there are television and radio signals in the atmosphere even though we can't see them. We know that 
All we have to do is take a television set, turn it on, tune it in, and we'll see that those signals were there the whole time. But we need to begin to apply this to spiritual things. We can't limit this concept to just our physical realm. There are many, there are more going on than just what you can perceive with your five senses. There are more than just your soulish, emotional realm. There is a spirit on the inside of you, and there is a spiritual realm where God has already done his part. If you don't relate to it properly, you're going to be hit and miss in the Christian life, which has led to so much weirdness in the body of Christ. You need to live from the standpoint that God has already done. He has provided everything you need. It's not a matter of trying to get God to move in your life. It's a matter of you moving over into agreement with him and receiving what he has already provided. Folks, let me tell you something. God is so, so powerful. His love, we got it all. This is what I love about Andrew Womack. This man, he speaks truth so bluntly, it's it's powerful. But now, you think that's exciting? Let's talk about righteousness. Let's talk about righteousness. That's the next one. Whose righteousness? The word righteousness has become a religious cliché that has lost its meaning to many people. Even Christians are confused about what righteousness is and how to receive it. This has left our society without a clear understanding of what it takes to have a relationship with God. This is reflected in our nation's moral collapse. It is imperative that we get back to the basics of righteousness. Righteousness and its counterpart, righteous, appear 540 times in 520 verses of of the Bible. In contrast, faithfulness and faithful only use 348 times in 328 verses. This means that there are 1.5 times as many scriptures about righteousness as there are about faith. Righteousness is important. A layman's definition of righteousness is simple. Right standing with God. Righteousness is the condition of being in right relationship with the Lord. This can only happen through total faith and dependence on Christ. There is no other way, and there is nothing we can add to our faith to obtain right relationship with the Lord. Let me repeat that. There is no other way, and there is nothing we can add to our faith to obtain right relationships with the Lord. That's Romans 11.6. One of the things that blinds people is a true understanding of righteousness is confusing is confusion about how we become right in the sight of God. It is commonly thought that our actions are the determining factor in God's judgment of our righteousness. That's not true. There is a relationship between 
our actions and our right standing with God. But right relationship with God produces action, not the other way around, not the other way around. That is to say, we are not made righteous by what we do. Righteousness, here it comes, folks. Righteousness is a gift that comes from the Lord to those who accept what Jesus has done for them by faith. Romans 5, 17, 18. The gift of salvation produces a changed heart that, in turn, changes our actions. Actions cannot change our hearts. It's the heart of man that God looks upon, 1 Samuel 16, 7. And we must be righteous in our heart to truly worship God, John 4, 24. The mistake of thinking that doing right makes us right is the same error the Pharisees made. Religion has always preached that if we clean up our actions, our hearts will become clean too. Jesus taught just the opposite. Matthew 23, 25, 26. It's through a changed heart that our actions came. The heart is the issue. Actions are only an indication of what's in our heart. Actions are the fruit the heart produces. Modern-day Christianity often put the emphasis on actions instead of issues of the heart. This is reflected in Christians' excessive efforts to legislate change in people's actions instead of changing their hearts by the preaching of the gospel. It's the gospel that contains the power of God, not political action groups, Romans 1, 16. Laws only affect action. The gospel changes hearts. Once hearts are changed, actions change. Contrary to popular belief, Christianity does not promote receiving justice from the Lord. Praise God for that. And the Lord has a much better plan. Plan. We get what we believe. I once developed pictures in the photography studio for a living. People would come into the studio to look at their proofs and say things like, "The picture, this picture doesn't do me justice. I never had the nerve to say this, but I often thought, lady, you don't need justice. You need mercy. That's the way it is with God. We sometimes call for justice, but that's not what we need. As the scriptures say, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. Again, in Romans 3.23, the scripture says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. The wonderful plan of salvation is that those who put their faith in Jesus and what he did for us get what he deserves. On the other hand, those who do not put their total faith in Christ will ultimately get what they deserve. Believe me, 
That's that is not what they want. Religion has suddenly instructed people to trust in their own goodness instead of God. This will never work. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty three. The biblical story of the handwriting on the wall illustrates this point. Daniel five one through thirty one. Belshazzar was the king of Babylon. His father, Nebuchadnezzar, had conquered the nation of Israel and brought all the wealth of the temple along with most of the inhabitants of Jerusalem back to Babylon. During an extravagant feast with thousands, with 1,000 of his lords in attendance, Belshazzar chose to toast his gods using the golden vessels from the temple in Jerusalem, which is in open defiance of the God of Israel. The Lord moved swiftly and dramatically by creating an image of a man's hand with fingers that wrote on the wall in front of Belshazzar and all his guests. Belshazzar called on all his magicians and wise men to decipher the writing. But no one could. Then the queen reminded Belshazzar about Daniel, who had interpreted the dreams and visions of Nebuchadnezzar when no one else could. Daniel was summing and the writing explained. The message from God revealed that Belshazzar had weighed in the balances and was found wanting. Therefore, his kingdom was divided and given to the Medes and Persians. This comes this came to pass that very night. Belshazzar was overthrown and Darius the Mede Persian took control. If we were weighed in the balances against God's righteousness, as Belshazzar was, we too would come up short. God's righteousness is always more in quantity and quality than ours will ever be. Our righteousness is as filthy rags compared to God's righteousness. Isaiah 64, 6. Someone might say, that's not fair. No one can compete with God's righteousness. That's exactly right. However, God's righteousness is the standard by which everyone must be measured. So then, how can anyone be saved? The answer is that no one can be saved if they are trusting in their own righteousness. Let me repeat that again. The answer is that no one can be saved if they are trusting in their their own righteousness. We all must have a righteousness that exceeds anything we could ever produce through our, that's where Jesus entered. Jesus was in right relationship with God as no one else can be. He is the Son of God. He is God manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. He is holy and pure without sin, yet he became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Through no wrongdoing on his part, he took our sin in his own body, on the cross, 1 Peter 2.24, surely he hath 
bore our grief and carried our sorrow, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. And a chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. In return for Jesus taking our sins, those who put their faith in him get his righteousness instead of their own. It is not our actions that make us acceptable to the Father. It's our trust in Jesus Christ that imparts the righteousness of Jesus into our born-again spirit that makes us in right standing. Those who don't understand this righteousness, which comes from God as a gift, become frustrated trying to establish their own righteousness through good works, Romans 10.3. It, it won't work. It is an all-or-nothing situation, Romans 11.6. We must trust completely in what Jesus did for us to obtain right relationships with God. Any trust in our own goodness will void the atonement Christ has made for us, Galatians 5.4. This is precisely the condition of millions of people in the body of Christ today. They receive salvation by putting total faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, but then they return to believing that the God, that the Lord still relates to them on the basis of their work, even after their salvation. That's not true. Colossians 2.6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That means, if you were saved by putting faith in God's grace alone, then you maintain that relationship in the same way. Some people sing, just as I am without one plea when they are born again. They need to sing this song all the way through their Christian lives. Failure to understand this truth is at the root of all guilt and condemnation. Satan's only inroad into our lives is sin. If we understand our right standing with God on the basis of what Jesus did for us and not by our own actions, then Satan's power to condemn is gone. Those who live with a feeling of unworthiness are not trusting in God's righteousness, but are looking to their own actions to obtain right standing with God. That will never work. Folks, and to sum up that article right there, just to sum it up right there, it is not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ that positioned us to receive what God has for us. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? Folks, we got to get this because that's where our freedom truly lies. 
That's where our freedom truly lies. And I'm going to take it, I'm going to take it even further than that. No, everybody trips about the Ten Commandments being removed from these various places and stuff like that. I don't, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the Ten Commandments originally was given to be the standard by which sin was is judged. It's the standard by which sin is judged. So if that's the standard by which sin is judged, then, you know, what did Jesus do? If Jesus died for everything, sin, healing, everything, why are people still trying to live by a standard that Jesus cares. The the answer to that is because of our lack of unbelief. That's why. Everything Everything completely healed, completely done, completely, completely, completely. Everything completely done. Everything. You guys understand what I'm saying? It's all finished. So what do we do? We trust and we believe in God. We embrace the fullness of what he has for us. Even when it may seem scary, we still must embrace everything he has for us. Why? Because God's not mad at us. He's not up there tripping off of anything. We are tripping. We sometimes, through the things that we say and the things that we do, we give God a bad reputation. We blame him for sicknesses, natural disasters. that has nothing to do with him. It has nothing to do with him. For those of you who are listening in, you already got it. You have to embrace it. Release 
the love of God, release it. Instead of asking him for more love, you have to release more of his love. Folks, this is real talk. It's real talk. It's real talk. It's real talk. Sorry you guys might be hearing all that yelling in the background, but it is what it is. But at the end of the day, God knows what he was doing. Society. Part of human exceptionalism. God knows what he's doing. And you know, I want to I want to give you guys an example. I'm gonna give you guys an example. Play a clip of just how deprived our world has come because of just because of people's lack of belief. Listen to this. I'm going to play three clips. Actually, let me make sure. One, two, three. Yeah, three clips. Now, I want you to listen to some of this. This is a man that we interviewed, Wesley J. Smith, on our um, True Life Fridays radio show just this past Friday. And he did a short film called The War on Human. He's a believer. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. Listen to this, and then I'm going to speak to this. I'm going to play the clips one after the other. And folks, prepare to be shocked. In September 2010, longtime environmental activist James Lee took hostages at the headquarters of the Discovery Channel cable network just outside of Washington, D.C. He pulled out uh, the handgun that he came in with um, and pointed it uh, at one of the hostages. Lee demanded that the Discovery Channel change its programming to highlight what he regarded as the planet's biggest enemy, humans. Lee condemned humans as the most destructive, filthy, pollutive creatures around. He added that the Earth did not need humans and it is the responsibility of everyone to preserve the planet by not breeding any more children. Armed with guns and an explosive device, Lee was eventually killed by police and his hostages escaped. James Lee was clearly mentally disturbed, but his belief that human beings represent a threat rather than a blessing to the planet is shared by a growing number of leading scientists, policymakers, and journalists. Other activists today invoke Darwinian ideas in order to deny that humans have special value. 
Christopher Maines was an early leader in the influential environmental group Earth First. In his book, Green Rage, he argues that evolution means there is no basis for seeing humans as more advanced or developed than any other species. According to Maines, human beings are not the goal of evolution because evolution has no goal. In his words, evolution simply unfolds life form after life form, and Darwin invited humanity to face the fact that the observation of nature has revealed not one scrap of evidence that humankind is superior or special or even particularly more interesting than, say, lichen. The use of Darwin's theory to debunk human dignity spans the ideological spectrum. Princeton University bioethicist Peter Singer is author of the book A Darwinian Left. Singer claims that the life of a newborn baby is of less value than the life of a pig, a dog, or a chimpanzee. And where does Peter Singer get this from? He's told us. In an interview, Peter Singer made uh, very clear that his view was going back to Darwin. He said, Darwin really showed us that human beings aren't special. We're not sort of separate from the rest of nature. We're not unique. Uh, and so that we shouldn't be treated that way. And so this idea that there's something special or unique about human beings, that human beings deserve special treatment, uh, really is undermined by Darwin in Peter Singer's view. Society. Part of human exceptionalism is that only we have duties. So we have a duty, for example, to treat the environment properly. We have a duty to treat animals humanely. We have a duty to treat each other with respect and dignity. We have a duty to our posterity to leave them a better place, I think, than what we found at, when we came along. The founding fathers of the United States were talking about their posterity all the time. That's us. No animal is thinking or has a duty to posterity. They don't have duties to each other. We do. One reason, traditionally, we have uh, spent so much and cared so much about uh, social welfare efforts in the United States, and about the poor and the you know, most impoverished among us, and about equality of people of different races, is because we've had this intuition uh, that has also been buttressed by, frankly, our religious beliefs and our cultural beliefs that human beings are unique, and that human beings are special, and that all human beings are unique and special and uh, have basic rights and should be treated with respect. If you believe in civil rights, if you believe in universal human rights, but you reject human exceptionalism, you're going to be working at cross purposes with yourself. Because you, if you don't have intrinsic human dignity as an objective factor, how do you have universal human rights? It, it, it will collapse because there'll be no weight-bearing pillars to hold it up. So if you believe I don't care if you're politically left, you're politically right, I don't care if you're atheist or, or deeply Christian, uh, Buddhist or Muslim. If you don't believe in human exceptionalism, uh, you are going to be undermining universal human rights. So let me explain those first two clips to you. There's a group of radical environmentalists who think that basically human beings should eliminate themselves from the planet, period. And they were, they're radical about it. See, people like that, they're the extreme, they're the extreme view 
of God's intended purpose for creation, well, the creation of mankind. He said in his word that we're not to worship creation. But here's the thing. Because our nation has become so moral, not just our nation, but this world has become so morally deprived that we have nothing. It's like we seem like as believers, there's always believers getting slaughtered, this, that, and the other. But here's the thing, and this comes back to my whole mess. We have it all in our spirit. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to embrace that which God has already deposited in us, that power of Christ in us, the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to manifest that to achieve what God said that we could achieve. Jesus wasn't just blowing smoke when he said, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and believe what you say, then these things shall come to pass. He wasn't blowing smoke, folks. He was keeping it real. The gospel of Jesus Christ and preach and teaching it the right way of what Jesus Christ set us free from. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world may say, what the rest of the world may think, what people think or do. It doesn't matter. Because it's the Christ in you, the Christ in me, the hope of glory. It does not matter. Every situation, every circumstance that we might be facing, it does not matter. Because we have it all. This broadcast, folks, this is one, this is a good one to take, to listen to, download on your iTunes or or your um, MP3 player and play it back because I'm going to tell you something. I'm excited. I, I fell into this category too. And the bad thing about it, I know what Andrew Womack was saying. I know it to be the truth. So what does that mean? I gotta fully embrace what God has already deposited in me and deal with my unbelief. It's not a lack of faith, it's unbelief. Believing that God is not even willing to do that which He said He would do. Oh, sorry. We have to be willing to embrace and to take fully a hold of that which Christ has given us.
Yes or no? It really is simple as that. It really is as simple as that. Now, I apologize for the car being in the background because I'm doing my show in the garage and I have to open it up so that, like, the smoky smell could go out. But that's just the realness of radio, folks. Because nothing will keep us from embracing the love of God or releasing the love of God. And just know this. Every consequence, every choice, I should say, has a consequence. Whether we want to see that or not, and the consequence of us not fully embracing who we are in Christ Jesus are many, but one major one is seeing the moral decay of the very planet that God gave us stewardship over. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, I ask you, in Jesus' name, to awake, to awaken us to the realization that you did it all. that you paid the price. You, through Jesus Christ, deposited all that we would need. Father, your love for us can't be measured. But the reality of it all is that we have all your love deposited in us. Father, we need to embrace that. So as we draw closer to you in relationship, Father God, I pray that the revelation of just exactly what you've done within us will so permeate within us that we can't contain it and that we are shouting it from the four corners of this earth. And that is the reality of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. 
for so many times, we focus on so much of what's wrong, what's wrong in a person, what's wrong in a person, what about what's right. We already got it. As Andrew Womack said in his word, we have it all. And if we have it all, we better embrace it. We are the first line of offense and a last line of defense. And as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, we have to stand in the gap, be the watchmen, watchwomen on the wall, be ready to deliver a word of encouragement in due season, in season, out of season. It doesn't matter. Father, we have to be ready. Lord, I know that the only way that we will be able to be ready is if we embrace fully who we are in you. So I embrace who I am in you. I give you glory, honor, and praise for the listeners tonight. Pastor Rustic, my friend Anna, my friend Shay, my friend Celeste, those who I may have missed, I say, God bless you. God loves you. So do I. See, because that other thing that we have is the unconditional, unequivocal, deniable, and I'll say it again, unconditional love of God, which dwells in us because of Jesus Christ. Father, we say we love you and we bless you in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Now, folks, That's the power of radio. Hmm. Lord, we say we love you and we bless you. And remember this one thing. We know that Jesus is just a prayer wife.
Christ Worship and Word here on True Radio Presents the Blog Talk Radio Network. Yeah. 
tune in next week to another day.